0: Amen. Good morning, family. Uh, You can get your Bibles out. You can uh, open up to Mark chapter 10. We're going to start a new series this morning that will carry us through uh, the holiday season. And we're calling it a season of grace. Mark chapter 10, you can find that on page 1166 on the Pew Bible in front of you. Mark chapter ten. Now what I want us to do is I want us to think a little bit differently about maybe, you know, you might have come in and, and got your listening guide and thought a season of grace, you know, we're we're gonna be talking about Christmas. I want us to think about Christmas in a different way. I want us to realize that Christmas is a season of grace. But Christmas is a, is a season of grace where we celebrate the fact that we, as believers, now live in a season of grace. You understand that it's, it's not just what Christ accomplished. We're, we're not just celebrating the birth of Christ. We're celebrating everything that the birth of Christ now means to us as His children every day going forward, this this season that's in between the moment of salvation and the time we take our last breath in this life. That is a season of grace, and that's what I want us to see together. And so as we've been uh, sharing the season of grace with our neighbors in 39503, as we continue to do that and are grateful to God that He's given us the opportunity and the ability to do that. Uh, we want to we ask some of the questions that we realize people are asking. You see, Jesus encountered people who were asking questions. We encounter people today that are asking the same question. We are asking the same questions as well. We're all in this sort of process, if you will. And I think the, the, the question that I want us to address this morning as we sort of introduce this conversation and we celebrate the Lord's Supper is can my story be re- rewritten? Can it be rewritten? You see, that's the question that people are asking because, you know, our lives are a story. See, I, my life was a story before I met Christ, before Christ saved me. And then in that moment, my story got transformed. It got rewritten. It got redone. A new story began. But all the time up until that time, I felt like I was stuck In that story. Do you remember that feeling? Some of you this morning. You might feel stuck in your story. You just feel like that. As you look towards the future. It's just going to be more rehashing of the same thing. And then we read the gospel. We we read about the life of Jesus. And the people that he encountered. And time and time again. People encountered Jesus. Jesus who thought that their story had already been written. Really, that was, that was one of the most shocking things about hearing the gospel for the first time. When I heard the gospel for the first, first time, it was like this. I had never considered prior to that that my story could change. I thought it was already written out and i was just sort of living you know in the shadow of what had already been written i really thought maybe you thought maybe you have been meeting people lately who think that the narrative of their life is set in stone you know it's determined by the family that we're born into or the opportunities along the way that we had access to or the choices that we've made or the people who surround us. And yet Jesus encountered people who who all had a story. There's all sorts of different stories that Jesus encountered people whose story was physical illness he encountered people whose story was relational brokenness. He encountered people whose story was social rejection or their, their, the narrative of their life was failure. And all of them believed that their story was set in stone. But then they met Jesus and when they met Him, He rolled the stone of their story away. That's what He did. And He freed them He freed us from the tomb of our past story. And so what happens when we get freed from our past story? Well, then we're we're ushered into a season of grace. So let me give you a couple things if you get your listening guide out. Here's a couple things to start to get us thinking about grace. First thing I want us to think about is how grace is the reality that our story can be rewritten. You see, the, the way that we first come in contact with this possibility, because you know as well as I do, we just believe, hey, th- things are just the way they are. I'm just who I am. I'm just a, I'm a product of my environment. I'm just made the way that I am. You know, it's just, that's how we naturally think. And then we encounter grace and we realize, wait a minute, hold on a second, that's not necessarily always true. And then today as we celebrate communion together, I want us to realize that communion is a reminder that our story can be rewritten or that our story is being rewritten. And so we're going to weave these two things together in this little bit of time we have by looking at a passage of Scripture from Mark chapter 10. One of my favorite passages of Scripture in the New Testament. Mark chapter 10, let's begin in verse 46. Here's what the Bible says. Now they came to Jericho, and He, Jesus, went out to Jericho with His disciples And a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. Now, let's just get a few details laid out here, okay? First of all, this is the only time that Jesus went to Jericho. And He's on His way somewhere, very important, that will become clear and obvious here in a moment. And... As he goes through, we're introduced to this man, Bartimaeus. And we know three things about Bartimaeus. That's all we know. Well, actually, four. We know who his dad is. But we know three things from this text. First of all, we know that he's blind. Second of all, we know that he's begging. And the third thing the Bible tells us is that he's sitting. He's blind, he's begging, and he's sitting. Now, I want us to think about Bartimaeus in the context of his story. Because here's a great example of someone. When Bartimaeus thinks about next year, when when somebody asks Bartimaeus, hey, when's your birthday? You think he gets excited about that? You think he gets excited about looking to the future? You think Bartimaeus, when he thinks about, hey, five years from now, do you think he's hopeful? I don't think he is. I think Bartimaeus thinks, you know what? Nothing's ever going to change for me. This is the lot that I have. This, my narrative is set in stone. And here's what he thinks. For him, there's no hope of a better tomorrow. For him, it's just I hope I survive till tomorrow. That's all he's got. That for however long he'll live, he'll be sitting in the same place doing the same thing because the story's already been written. Now, look at verse 47. But when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, here's what I want to point out to you. It's interesting what he does in response to knowing that Jesus is coming. So evidently, he's heard about Jesus. He's heard about this man who's able to perform miracles and do signs and wonders. And so he knows a little bit about who Jesus is and of course I'm sure everyone has heard about it. It's not that Jesus has been there before but everyone who lives within a hundred miles of anywhere Jesus has been has heard about all the things that are going on. But here's what is interesting that he cries out to Jesus and he asks for mercy. He doesn't ask for grace. He asks for mercy. Now, let's think about this for a second. What's the difference between mercy and grace? Mercy is when God withholds what we do deserve. Grace is when God lavishes upon us what we don't deserve. You got that? Now, let's think about it. Mercy is when God withholds what we deserve. Grace is when God lavishes upon us what we do deserve. So he asks, he asks for mercy. Now the Bible says in verse 48 that when he did so, when he yelled out asking for mercy, that many around him told him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. The Bible says... So Jesus, in verse 49, stood still and commanded him to be called. Now, here's Jesus. He's not going to Jericho. He's going through Jericho. And you can look right there in your Bible. Just look down at the very next heading. Where is he headed? What's the very next stop? The triumphal entry. So could we say that, we could say Jesus is always busy and His time is always valuable, but has there been a day in the life of Christ up until this point that was more tense and more directed than this day, this moment? He's on His way to the most important Moment in the history of the universe, and he stops. Now, there's a few interesting things I want to point out. First of all, I wonder why the people around Bartimaeus told him to be quiet. I'm sure everyone was yelling, and there was a crowd of people all around him. We've talked about this passage before in a different context, and so. You know, clearly, it's it's not a quiet... It's not like they're in a library. It's not like it's inappropriate for him to be yelling. Everyone's yelling. But when Bartimaeus yells, they tell him to be quiet. And the reason they tell him to be quiet, I believe, is because they don't believe that Bartimaeus is deserving of mercy. That's why they tell him to be quiet. Because they think... You don't deserve mercy. And then Jesus stands still. He stands still. See, why does, why does Bartimaeus scream out for mercy? Why doesn't he ask for grace? You know why he doesn't ask for grace, I believe? is because he doesn't think he deserves it. He just, he just wants mercy. See, he feels like... Now, you know this if you've read the New Testament. That when people were born blind, for example, or had some physical deficiency, people in the first century believed that that was the judgment of God upon them, right? And so, mercy is withholding what we deserve... He has spent his whole life believing that he deserves to be blind, that he deserves to live this life, that he deserves to have the narrative or the story that he has. That's what he believes. And so if a person believes that, then what they would ask for is mercy, right? It only makes sense. He wouldn't ask for grace because there's no way he would get grace. So he just asked for mercy. And the people around him tell him to be quiet because they don't even believe he deserves that. And then Jesus stands still. Why does he do this? It doesn't say Jesus heard him or answered him or responded to him. It says first that he stood still. It tells me that Jesus knew Bartimaeus' story. think about it. Jesus stands still because he knows it's going to take a little longer for Bartimaeus to get to him, right? See, if it was somebody else, they could have caught up with Jesus. But not Bartimaeus. I mean, it was a big production for him, as you're going to see in a minute. So, it's just a little window into the heart of God that God knows this blind beggar's story, which means God knows your story this morning, and he knows my story. He knows our story. Maybe some of you know what it feels like to sort of be stuck in your story, and it's like the whole world is passing you by. You know, Bartimaeus's life sort of centered around You know, he sat there begging by the side of the road. Everyone else was on their way somewhere, or they were on their way from somewhere. But not him. He was just there. His story was different. Everyone else had things, people to see, places to go. But he didn't. He was just sort of stuck there, and the world was just passing him by. Have you ever felt like you were just sort of stuck in your story, and the world was just passing you by? I have. And you know what you need in that moment? You just need somebody to wait for you. Jesus just stops. And he waits for him. Not because his time isn't important, but because Bartimaeus is important. So he knows the story of Bartimaeus he knows my story he knows your story but that also means that he knows the story of the people that we pass by every day he knows their story he knows what's going on with them he knows what the narrative of their life is he knows the things that they feel stuck in and you know what I don't think I'm I don't think I'm the only one in this room this morning who had just sort of grown to a place where I thought my story was just written in stone. I think that's what you thought. You know, if, if you know Christ this morning as your Savior, then I'd be willing to bet you thought a week before he saved you, that it was just your story. I bet you did. And you know what? I wonder how many... I wonder how many people we pass by every day. See, some people we pass by, we can just look at them like Bartimaeus and we can just see some things about their story that they're stuck in. You know, the guy standing there with the sign, you know, needs food... You can see some things he's stuck in, right? But then there's other people, you know, people that you pass by, you know, that you might go somewhere, you might be out doing Christmas shopping or something like that, and so you might look at people as they're doing their job, and you might sort of try to discern some things about things that they might be stuck in because of maybe the job they're doing or how hard they're working or whatever the case may be. But, but what about the people that are in line in front of you and the people that are in line behind you and all the people you pass up and down the, the aisleways and the people you park next to in the parking lot? All those people have a story. And, and the vast majority of them, by looking at them, you can't tell much about the story. And oftentimes if we try, we'll get a lot of things wrong. All you got to do is look up an old picture of Tony to clarify that one. Yeah. So Jesus stops, and then the Bible says, Then they called the blind man. Saying to him, be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. Suddenly all the people who were telling him to shut up when Jesus wants to talk to him are like, oh yeah, no problem, hey, come on, get up. It's not, you know, they changed their tune. Yeah. Be of good cheer, rise, he's calling you. See, the grace of God is not just an Exemption. But an invitation. You see, one of the reasons why we struggle with this concept of a season of grace, I mean, I've really been thinking a lot about this, is that we think of grace as this exemption, like this, where, you know, grace exempts us from uh, the penalty of sin. Yes, it does. You know, we uh, my 13-year-old is getting ready to, you know, as any of you that are in school, you know it's coming up on the Christmas break, and so it's time for everybody to get ready for, uh, you know, exams. you got to take exams before school gets out. And so the way it works at his school is that uh, if you have an A in that class, then you can be exempt from taking the exam. Well, uh, because he has good grades, he gets to choose three classes that he wants to be exempt from. The only problem is, is that there's a form that has to be filled out, that has to be signed by your parents, that you have to turn in, By this certain deadline in order to be exempt from those tests. Now it seems to me that, you know, I thought about getting a little frustrated at this story. And then God quickly reminded me of something. He just whispered into my ear as I was about to get on to Cameron uh, about what I'm about to tell you. God whispered into my ear and said, don't forget you were never exempt from a test. (laughs) Ever. That never happened. So I kind of, you know, yeah. So it changed my tune a little bit. So then uh, there's a panic text that starts running through my family. Lisa's uh, at work. I'm at work. And... Cameron needs somebody to sign this form, and it has to be turned in in 15 minutes. Bro, you better start studying is all I know to do. Well, he's crafty enough to, you know, he's thinking, okay, dad's out of the picture, mom's out of the picture. But I do have a grown sister. And she just lived just around the corner from the school. So he gets Kayla to come up there and sign his. I didn't even know this happened until later that day. And when I got home, everyone was going, hey, did Cameron get? I'm like, I don't even know what happened. Well, what happened was he got the form to the office with three minutes to spare. And so he was exempt. He's exempt from these tests. Now, we tend to think of grace that way. See, we meet Jesus, and so we're exempt. It's an exemption from the penalty of sin. But it's, it's more than that. It's an invitation. Because what Jesus does here is very telling. It's an invitation to Bartimaeus. Look at verse 50. So Bartimaeus now throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. Now, you got to read in between the lines, in between the words of what's going on. He didn't just stand up, throw off his garment, and take off running. Because if that would have happened, who knows who he would have ran into and who knows what direction he would have been going in. It was a process. Somebody had to guide him. They had to lead him. They had to get through the crowd. So Jesus was waiting. All this is going on. Verse 51, Jesus answers him and says, What do you want me to do for you? You see this invitation, how it continues? You see, he calls him to him, and then when he gets there, he asks him this strange question. Why would you ask a blind man, what do you want me to do for you? Especially a blind man who introduced himself by begging for mercy. It's pretty clear what he wants. But one of the things I think we can take away from this, I believe, is it's like what we say around here all the time. Jesus won't force himself on anybody, will he? You see that? He's not going to force himself on. He asks him. And not only that, it's just, it not it, isn't it, isn't it almost, can't you just sense the fact that Jesus has respect for the personhood of Bartimaeus? That he asks him a question. Even though he knows what's in his heart. How many times has God asked me a question or asked you a question, even though he knows what's in our heart? Yeah. See, so oftentimes, grace is something we we look back to, and I think that's a mistake. Because we need to look back to grace, but we also need to move forward by grace. Because we need to understand that grace initiated a season of grace. But grace also is how we move forward in a season of grace. It's going to take us a couple weeks to totally unpack this. But so the blind man says to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Well, there's a shocker. And Jesus says to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Now, there's a lot here. Here's a man who was stuck in his story. The story that he had been handed. It was his lot, his existence, his everyday repetition. And he received what he wanted most, his sight. But he also received what he needed most. And that's evident in how he responded to Christ and to what Christ said to him. See, Jesus said, your faith has made you well. And then... His response to Jesus illustrates what the proper response to faith is. He followed Jesus on the road. He didn't run home and tell his family. He didn't, you know, uh, the Bible doesn't say that he was carrying on about how, you know, what a tree looked like. Or, uh, you know, how bright the sun was. Or, You know, how, whatever. It it wasn't. He followed Jesus. That's what the Bible tells us. Now, what is illustrated here is that the only thing powerful enough to rewrite our story is the grace of God. You see, what happened was God showed him mercy and gave him grace. And grace rewrote rewrote his story it's the only thing powerful enough look at what the Bible says in the second chapter of Titus for by grace the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all men training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in this present age it's grace that's the power to rewrite the story and so holiness is not a prerequisite for grace. It's a product of grace. That's what the Bible teaches about grace. You see, you don't get yourself together and to be able to be in a position to receive grace. No. The only way, the only way that we can live a holy life, the only way that we can renounce ungodliness... is for it to be a product of the grace we've already received. Because if we haven't received grace, then we have no power to live the life that God called us to. See, we can't live, we can't can't exist in this new story. There's no story being rewritten if there's not grace. If you take grace out of the equation, then all of our stories just stay the same and just keep on running to the end. No narrative changes. That what we thought about our story ends up being true. Grace is what changes it. Grace is what transforms it. See, when we believe in Jesus, because of His mercy, God does not give us what we deserve, which is wrath. That's what we earned. That's what we deserve. But... He doesn't give us that because of His mercy. And simultaneously, when we believe, when we place our faith in Christ, because of His grace, God gives us what we don't deserve. See, He gives us the ability to be sons and daughters, to be adopted children. He gives us the opportunity to be joint heirs with Christ. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us power over sin. You see, that's grace. He gives us the ability to pray and know that God hears. It's His grace that enables us to to now be assured that all things in our lives work together for good because we are the beloved and called according to His purposes. You see, it's His grace that causes us to know that He'll never remove His love from us and that He gives us good works to walk in. And you know what the Bible says about God's character in this moment? It's not that God begrudgingly gives out grace he's not stingy with his grace that's what's so amazing even in the old testament look at what the prophet isaiah in isaiah 30 says about this therefore the lord longs to be gracious to you and therefore he waits on high isn't that interesting just like he did for bartimaeus he waits to have compassion on you you know he didn't have to go through uh, jericho that day but he did he didn't have to He heard a lot of voices, but he didn't have to stop for Bartimaeus, but he did. God knew his story. It just caused me to think about my own story, and and I'm hoping it causes you to think about your story. And to think about how you can see now how God knew your story and how he waited. He waited until you were ready. He waited until that moment. He waited You see, you know how we know Bartimaeus was ready? He cried out. What if he wouldn't have said anything? God would have still known his story. God would have still loved him, but he wouldn't have been ready. You see, when we don't cry out, we're not ready. You know, if, if you're here this morning and, and you've never placed your faith in Christ as Lord and Savior, the lie that the enemy wants you to believe is that your story will never change. He wants you to believe that. You know, if you're stuck in this repetitive cycle in your life, you know, where you just keep... You just keep going around the wrong bush and and it's a bad bush and you just keep doing it and you can't get out of it. It doesn't have to be that way. Sometimes we can be saved and believe our story will never change. Yeah, we'll see that in a few moments around the Lord's table. The other lie that I think the enemy wants us to believe is that god won't stop for you, you see because there's no doubt been people there's always people around you that when you start to cry out they 're going to tell you to be quiet, and you know they've they've maybe uh in a Uh, a subtle way or maybe in a direct way have communicated to you over the course of your life that the reason the narrative of your life is what it is, the reason your story is what it is, because of the decisions that you've made. And you've sort of made that. And so what's happened is you've sort of uh, either reluctantly, unknowingly, or you have consciously received that. And so now you, like Bartimaeus, believe that you deserve to be where you are. Isn't that interesting? And we just adopt that posture. And once we adopt the posture that, well, we just deserve to be where we are, then you know what? Why would we believe God would stop for us? So what we're going to do is we're going to move into a time where we celebrate the Lord's table. But before we do that, we need to do some business with God. Because He's very particular about the way that we do this. He warns us that if we are His children, that we, we do participate and that we do so rightly. And by rightly, what that means is that we confess our sin, that we we search our heart and we say, God, what is it in my heart that you're, that's displeasing to you? And we confess that before him and we repent of that. Because we're celebrating the fact that Jesus came and gave himself on the cross to cleanse us. And so you can't celebrate his cleansing and then cling to your dirtiness at the same time. We can't do that. And so we need to... We need to pause for a moment and we need to do a little inventory. We also need to give an opportunity to anyone in this room who doesn't know Christ as Lord and Savior. You know, maybe you're where Bartimaeus was or where I used to be or where the rest of us all used to be. We all know what that's like to be stuck in this story but you don't have to stay there and the Bible says that whoever comes to him you see Bartimaeus said Jesus son of David he wouldn't have said son of David you know the son of David is a messianic term it means you are the Messiah he was declaring his belief that this man named Jesus that he was calling to is the one sent from God. And so when you confess that you believe the Lord is the one sent from God. And ask him to forgive you, he will. He'll show you mercy and then he'll fill you with grace. And then you'll enter into a season of Grace. what a blessing that'll be. So would you stand? So what we're going to do, we're going to have a moment of invitation. I want to open up the altar. So if you want to come and and kneel at the altar, the band's going to come. And uh, we're just going to think about where we are and who we are and what we need to do. I'm going to be up here. Pastor Matt will be up here if if you uh, need to give your life to Christ or make that public or maybe get baptized come up here we'll uh, get you moving in that direction but you can come and kneel and spend a moment with your father (laughs) Lord we thank you for the fact that you know all of our stories you know there's no secrets in this room and so Lord we need to come before you and get some things right before we move into the Lord's table your table we can't celebrate your cleansing work and then cling to our sin so lord we we confess before you that we need you and that there's not a person in this room that's sin free and so thank you for what you'll accomplish in this time give us courage to be bold we thank you in jesus name amen times before that if we don't know who we are, we'll live like who we were, right? And that has a lot to do with the celebration of the Lord's table. You see, we need to continually remind ourselves of who we are in Christ and how we got here. And let's be honest, life has a way of drowning that out, of we get busy, we get distracted, circumstances overwhelm us. And if we're not careful, we lose sight of things. And that's why God has commanded us to do this so that we remember, we stop, and we, we take a moment. And we don't take for granted the amazing grace that He's bestowed upon us. We can't lose sight of what God has done and what that means to our story today that's being written today because we're breathing, we're alive, our story's still being written. So he said, do this in remembrance of me. You know, some people think that Jesus died on the cross so that you and I wouldn't have to, but that's not the case. He didn't die so that we wouldn't. He died because we couldn't. See, our death wouldn't have atoned for anything. Our death would not have have resolved or righted anything because there's not enough righteousness in us that our death wouldn't allow us to stand in the presence of God for one millisecond. No. But Jesus' death was different. Because of who he is and what he has done. And so we were hopeless and helpless. And God loved us so much that he gave his son. He gave his son who took on humanity. Who, as he died, he's the only qualified sacrifice for sin. If it wouldn't have been him, it couldn't have been anyone. But in that moment, when Jesus took our sin upon himself, here's what he did. He, God took the pen out of our hands. Or maybe he took the pen out of the enemy's hand, who had been writing our story up until that point. And he invited us into the writing of a new story, a new a new season, a season of grace. But listen, that's not all he did. Is that before we started this new season, you know what he did in that moment? He wrote the last chapter in advance for our blessing. You know what the title of that last chapter is? Victory. It's victory. And so... I want you to know this, that God wants wants us to see our story today in the shadow of the final chapter. That's important. That's important to God. That when you think about your story today in this moment, tomorrow, next week, you need to see it in the shadow of the final chapter. You can't forget that the final chapter has been written. You can't forget what the title of that chapter is. You know how the narrative of our lives ends. So if you get out your, your elements, you're just going to peel that very top, not the whole thing, just a little top. Thin, clear layer off and pull this little wafer out. This is a symbol of the body of Christ the doctrine of the incarnation where the God of the universe gave up the right to be king on a throne and he humbled himself and came in the likeness of a man came as a baby born of a virgin the Bible says in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead and so We need to just hold this for just a moment and we need to think about what it represents. We need to think about this this God and what He did. That He... He he came in the form of a man. And as mind-blowing as that is, the fact that He was unjustly crushed and chastised and cursed and spit upon to fulfill the Father's will to come and to die in the place of sinful people like me and you so that we could know that our story could be rewritten. So let's just hold this for a minute and consider what it represents before we take it.
1: our rose Lamb of God by his own each the sin of man
0: realize that this cup is a, a symbol of the blood shed on our behalf. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that God demonstrates his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And consider the Passover, which this is a, a symbol of, that Passover meal. And consider how the death angel doesn't pass over homes on the grounds of the intensity or the clarity of their faith. No. But only on the grounds of the blood of the Lamb. It it gives us a a, a realistic picture of the importance of what this symbolizes. The Bible says in Revelation 12 that we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb times have we asked God you know how can you ever love us enough how can you ever care for us enough when we continue to do things that dishonor you and break your heart I want you to realize as we hold this cup in our hands that this isn't us saying oh God I tried so hard. You know how hard I tried. I did my best. But I had a bad moment. No. It's enough that Jesus died. It's enough. And it's not the intensity of our faith, but the object of it. It's not the fact that blood was shed, it's whose blood was shed that makes all the difference in the world. So let's just consider this for just a moment before we take of it. For this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. Now remember, God wants wants us to see our story through the lens of our final chapter. And I want you to know that when, when the Lord was celebrating Passover in the upper room with his disciples, here's what he said to them. Here's what he says to you and me. He didn't just say, do this in remembrance of me. He said, but I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. He said, listen, You live every day from this moment forward in the reality of a season of grace, in the reality that the last chapter has already been written and that in that final chapter entitled Victory, we're going to do this again, but we're going to do it a little differently. Yeah, it's already been written down. He said, one day I'm coming back, and I'm going to get you. And we're going to celebrate like you've never celebrated before. And so every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we want to realize that we, we celebrate a supper in His honor, but one day we will have a feast in His presence.